We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass female celebrities who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, and faced heartaches and triumphs and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a writer, comedian, and filmmaker. And this week we are book clubbing Liz Fair's memoir, written in 2017, titled Horror Stories. I think it is one of the greatest memoir titles yet, Horror Stories, and it definitely lives up to its name, though possibly for different reasons than intended. And when I asked for a separate room, it was late at night, and we've been driving since noon. But if I'd known how that would sound to you, I would have stayed in your bed for the rest of my life just to prove I was right. That it's harder to be friends and lovers, and you shouldn't try to mix the two. Cause if you do it and you're still unhappy, then you know that the problem is you. That was Liz Fair's hit divorce song. There were so many songs to choose from, and I was I was thinking about Supernova because that's a huge hit for her, but I got a few messages from Cookies about how much that song meant to them. So that is the one I wanted to play. 
Liz Fair exploded onto the rock music scene in the 90s with her album Exile in Guyville, written when she was just 23, and it was independently produced, and it shook up the boys' world of music at the time. And my guest today, discussing it all with me, is my friend and incredible powerhouse, Katie Rich. Hi, Katie. Hi. It is such an honor to be here. <laughs> Thank you for being here, I'm Katie. I'm so happy. This has been I'm a long time so coming. Happy. It's been a long time coming. I tried to do, um, this is how pathetic I am. I tried to do, like, I'm trying to get my voice more in the front of my mouth mm. so I'm not as nasally. Yes. And then I'm like, who cares? Who gives a fuck? <laughs> who cares? <laughs> who gives a fuck? <laughs> uh, Katie, I want to give your bio. Katie wrote for SNL for many years. She is the EP on a new show that's incredible. We can't talk about it yet. It's a real secret. It's amazing, though. She's written and acted in so many shows, I can't name them. She's also an alumni of the Second City Chicago, so we share that theater in common. And she's a born and raised Chicagoan. And I would say her greatest credit of all is on a text thread that we're on together where she makes me laugh until I cry tears almost daily. So Same. <laughs> so that's the credit I'm giving you. Um, Same backwards. So, uh, Katie— I yes, introduce ma'am. all my guests with the story of how we first met. Do you remember this at all? Probably not, because when we first met, I'm sure that that was like the height of my drug abuse. I, I might have known a little bit. Okay, yeah. So th- this is my memory yes. of it. Um, okay. I came to Chicago, studied comedy, and the, one of the greatest people doing comedy in Chicago was Katie Rich. And I would call you— that's insane. I know, isn't it? I can't, I, now that I'm— <laughs> Maybe I should get back on the drugs. <laughs> um, listen, uh, co- listen, comedy is when you're doing coke <laughs> all night. Um, no, you you were just so incredible, and you were obviously a strong woman, and I looked up to strong women, and I would say uh, of the generation, we were of the generation where it was like one woman was on an improv team, and like you would be that woman, mm-hmm. and it'd be like, oh my God, I want to be Katie Rich. And I'm going to say this, I know you're going to laugh at me, but— you really felt like the prom queen of Chicago to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny because I was actually homecoming queen at my school, at my high school. Yes, yes. And I did not have a date. That's how pathetic but, I was. But cool. Like, who can swing that? You know what I mean? That's cool. And, and I, I, I just thought you were that. just like so cool, incredible, and funny. I really looked up to you. And also, by nature, that was scared shitless to impress you because I think our very first meeting was when I was your understudy. So we never met. And then I came in for Holly one yes. time. And then I was Holly's understudy. And we were backstage yes. in like a theater the size of, the backstage is like, you know, three feet by three feet. And then we spent like three yes. weeks together. Other. And that that's my first, that's when I think we first met. Probably. I, and you were lovely. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. You were so, I mean, you were so good. And then the other, the, the other thing I think is so cool is that when I left, you were like one of the first people to know that I got the job at SNL. Yeah. Because you came in for that's me. That's right. That's right. So when and they then, were like, Chelsea, you're going to stay, I knew that it meant that you had gotten SNL. Yes. And I felt... We could talk about Second City all day, and we won't, Um, but (laughs) there was something so wonderful knowing that someone like you was coming in and not taking over my spot, because it's not like that. You know, it's not—you're not taking over my role, but you were coming in as I was leaving, and I felt wonderful about that. That is so— Because I just thought— you were so you were so lovely and unique 
And and I'm sure you were scared shitless, but oh, yeah. it didn't it didn't seem that way. I was scared and, shitless, um, and I just wanted to impress you. So this is really healing an old need of mine. <laughs> Of like, I yes. just want Katie Rich to think that I am like good enough to be there. So this is, this is, this is ball. And I like that we like, we kind of looked alike, you know, yeah. like there was kind of a, a same like coloring Tall, and dark like, hair. I don't know, but yeah. dark hair, big boobs. Yep. We both had crippling anxiety yep. issues. We love and I pills. Just, like, I felt, <laughs> we love pills. We love our dogs to the point where it's not great. Um, and, and I'll say we're and, both very aggressive on stage. Like, I think we both have been told, like, you play yes. like a man as if it's a compliment. So that yes. was another. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. Which is also why I so, loved doing your roles. Because they're always so funny and great. Well, it that means a lot to me that someone like you with a with the mind that you have and the and the heart that you have would, would feel that way. What if everyone so listening that's a really is like, get lovely a compliment. fucking room and stop. Fucking room. Go finger in another <laughs> podcast. You sounds like you're on a text thread together. Why don't you just say this then? <laughs> um, yes. But I'm excited to dive into this because while we are very similar, I think we are different in in certain things, in how we feel about certain things. But we, I, I always love that you're, you always are like, I don't agree with that. And I never feel judged Oh. I I love oh, it. That, so I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to do same, that. I agree. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm excited yeah, to disagree. I'm, ex- I'm excited to have a discussion yes. as opposed to just like a yes and, and a, even though that's what we're supposed to do. An emotional fingering on another podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, okay. So I... Uh, I didn't. I I did not know a lot about Liz Fair at all. Like, obviously, I spent time in Chicago. I I I know she's like rock god, but that was kind of where it stopped for me. I wasn't super in it. You were the one who actually pitched me on doing this book. So, what drew you to Liz Fair and wanting to do this book on this podcast? I think it's truly. So we're we're separate. You're you're younger than me, but I'm five. We're not I'm five like, years old. You're you are you are 5 and, and I'm. 87 years old. <laughs> but there was, you know, there's there's that little, there's that speck of time in the, in like the early 90s where I was so, where I was just like, just becoming a teenager. And she, her music really, really meant a lot to me. And then as I got older, I felt like I had complicated feelings towards her. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that you wouldn't, she, she, you wouldn't really know that much about her because I you you missed when she was super resonant. Yeah, right. Especially for like women you know? teens at a time yes. when it was like she her lyrics were like I'm a sexual woman and like fuck off yes. and like that was like incredible. That was her abusing. song is fucking run. Yeah, fucking run. You know, that's and, cool. And she can't really sing, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. She she kind of just snarls and growls and, and and things like that, and she doesn't have that beautiful voice. And I was always so jealous of, and I would never say it. I mean, to this day, I hate musicals, and I'm sure it's because I couldn't sing. Mm. You know, I and I and I was always so jealous of of that. So to to have her come in and be really really raw. Um, at an age when you're getting your period and starting to get super horny, like it, yeah. it, it meant a lot to hear it from a female as opposed to, you know, that bump and grind song about 
getting a, a boner. Her album was a response to the Rolling Stones, right? Like they, they it was like a response mm-hmm. album to like the boys' world. I, and here's, I actually feel like I need to give a disclaimer too. <laughs> I need to give a disclaimer. I can tell, because I, I did a little bit of Liz Fair recap on my Instagram. And I, honestly, it was the biggest debate we've ever, I mean, we've covered like Celine Dion, Mariah Carey. Liz Fair was the biggest debate I've ever held with the cookies, but I can tell I've, I'm in the world of music elitism a little bit with this book. Um, and no one, why do you say that? Um, because I can, it's like this, like the way some of the messages were of like, like, um, like her position in music and and a dissection of lyrics and things like like stuff like that I don't participate in and I can't speak to, um, and and like no one belongs in music elitism less than me. Like I never like made the perfect mixtape for a crush in New York City when I was when I was single. I would get back to like a guy's place and if he had a record player, like I'd put on my pants and leave. Like even if it was just aesthetically, <laughs> I was like probably worse. <laughs> like I'm out of here. <laughs> that was probably a good but call. I think though. a very good call. But like if yeah. you asked me like what's your top 5 songs or albums, I would lie. I would lie because I know the tr- What would you tell me and then what are the I wouldn't the even truth? tell you the truth. <laughs> what would I tell you? What would my lie be? Uh, I don't even, I like have so much anxiety of like, oh God, now I got to think of like five respectful things to say. And I, that sucks because I think music has become, and, and movies and books, and it, but but music especially, and especially I know for me growing up in, in that time, what you listen to determined it, it was the time of like there were posers yes. and, and what was authentic and I remember like I remember wearing like a nine inch nails shirt once when I was like a freshman in high school and this sophomore guy I won't say his name but you can but he is a cop now oh then don't he is a cop <laughs> now in uh in in Orland of course Park he is he I remember we were sitting at lunch and he was like how long have you liked them <sighs> and I looked at him and I was like I don't know man I'm 13 like I haven't liked anything like very week? long. <laughs> like what am I supposed to say? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like what am I supposed to say that I'm I'm authentically a Nine Inch Nails fan? Like I don't know. I'm in a suburban high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so. So I, I I think it's unfortunate that music holds th- that that sort of uh, cachet yes. as far as who you are as a person. Totally. And if you can, I, I just I think that's unfortunate. Name things or not, and I definitely can't. I mean, like in high school, I listened to Three Six Mafia because that's what Great. the town listened to. <laughs> and then I also discovered Wicked a few years later and listened to that. <laughs> it's like, Great. yeah, but yeah, it definitely judges your personality. Also, you kind of. That's that thing of um, where dudes want you to prove your fandom, yes. especially to women. And I will t- I will tell one little Second City story. One time backstage, I told a director that I had seen Star Wars probably 365 times. And Great. I didn't finish the sentence, which was because my brothers put it on every day and we just had a VCR and a, we didn't have channels. <laughs> so I, it wasn't right. like I'm a fan. <laughs> But before I could finish the sentence, he was like, name all six in a row. Like, name all six titles in a row. And, but but here's the truth. I got so livid, like, full of fucking rage, wanted to kill him, that I then couldn't answer. And— Yes, and you looked like a fool. And I looked like—and I think about it. Like, once a year, I'm sort of like, fuck Mm -hmm. you. And it's like, why would Mm -hmm. would that hang on to me? But yeah, it's this this weird thing. And it's also, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I've just seen it a lot fuckhead 
Also, can't you just enjoy something? Like, I, yeah. I don't, like, what you like isn't necessarily who you are. What I like, I, I like, I love fish. I mean, that's not yes. something to know. And, and for and the and audience, when you P- tell me they, P-H-I-S-H, <laughs> the band. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I, I, fish I, is fine. I, I don't know. I don't like cooking it because it smells. But but the band, like, I love them. And, and if you tell me you hate them and... I'd be like, yeah, I get it, man. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. Like, I, I don't care. Um, so I, I just think it's unfortunate that these things that we like, we have to curate. Like, I, I would lie. I remember one time I had these tapes, and I lied and wrote on them because you would make mixtapes. And I wrote, like, cool, uh, like, ska band names Amazing. on the tapes. <laughs> so if someone came over, they would see it. The tapes were probably blank. Like, I, I don't know, yeah. but I wanted it to look like I listened to cool things. I, I, it's really funny too with, with music elitists where it's like, you realize your personality is someone else's art. Like you actually had nothing Honey? to do with that. Thank you so like, much. You don't get to claim it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Like, where else is that? I, I mean, I, I agree with you 100% on that. And so um, I think you should be proud of your weird, eclectic You know, I, I just, I want to say it for, if you found this podcast, because you're a Liz Fair devotee, I think that's great. And I think you should just read the book. I think if you're a Liz Fair fan, you will have a much better time reading the book uh, because I— And then listen to the yeah, podcast. Yeah, sure, sure. And then listen to the podcast. But yes. I— as someone who was new to Liz, I will say I could not, as hard as I tried, I couldn't latch. Like a, like a baby breastfeeding, like I couldn't latch to the book. I and uh yes. And so so it was a very odd experience for me reading this book and and it she doesn't really tell you who she is either. You kind of have to know who she is before you start the book. And so that makes 100% sense why you felt that way. It was also sort of like even reading it I wanted to, it's exactly what you said. I wanted to know more about her because her whole thing is that she had this image uh, made of her from these record companies and she, you know, and she didn't necessarily want to be looked at that way and and having autonomy and things like that. But I, this was her chance yeah. to tell me who you are. And there are a few moments in it when I really feel like I get glimpses of who she is. And there are other moments where I feel like you're writing what you think you're putting a name on a mixtape that's blank. Oh, Katie, that cuts. Yes, that is so accurate. You and, know? And I think what makes it even harder is that the front of the book has this little thing that says she made a promise to someone to write this book uh, and make it as raw and real as how she wrote her first album when she was just a kid in a basement writing music. And I think that kind of hangs over the book, too, where you're sort of like, it feels like— you didn't. Yeah. I And I, I don't understand why you would want to write something perhaps in the same manner as far as a process is concerned, but why would you want to write something indicative of who you were then? That doesn't—why why are you—it's ch- like chasing—you're chasing a dragon you're never going to catch again. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. It's not possible. And it, that was kind of a theme throughout the book of like, well, the first album was amazing. How do we get back there? How yes. do we get back there? And it's—yeah, and I think— in any art, I, I I know this is for me. Like, if I tried to recapture what I had as a kid, like, I it just wouldn't—it just doesn't work. Yeah, it just doesn't work. No, you'll fail. But, and also, because that's not who you are anymore. Yeah, that's such a good point. She did—so, she did have some great things. What was one of your favorite parts of the—it's also out of order, so this is going to be a different episode because she doesn't tell the story of her life. It's just a bunch of different stories. So, what was a story that stood out to you as, as something you loved? 
I will say the last the, the last um, essay. I mean, these are really just essays uh, about aging is really what got me. And that could also be because I'm seeing, you know, my mother passed away five years ago and I'm seeing my father get old and and there's, and I'm starting to get old, you know, like my, my birthday's coming up at the end of, of June and I think I miss, I think my birth, my birthday is so hard because I don't have my mother. Yeah. Um, and she did a really good job, I felt, with that chapter because and I hate to say this, it wasn't about her. Interesting. Because I think her picture of who she is is really, really clouded. Yeah. You know what's so funny for me, and and please prove me wrong, and it's funny, we usually start with the beginning of the book, but I love that we're starting with the end. The end of the book for me, I was like, you're ending the book on your childhood house being sold? And it felt so... um, hollow for me and and then the the very la- the very last few paragraphs of the book she says this this is the end of the book ah there it is i left my iced coffee in the bathroom although for the life of me i can't remember why you're having a senior moment mallory says in commiseration shut up i am not i peer at my face in the mirror still relatively line free i fuss with the hair at my temples where white strands mingle with golden brown locks remember when the kid at little ricky's thought you were my mother i say oh low blow fuck you i smile glad to see our relationship is still intact I stretch a piece of hot pink KT tape along the inside of my left knee where an old injury is acting up. I crack my knuckles while we talk, bending my fingers back to keep them nimble. I think I can feel the rain coming because my joints are a little achy. Well, you can always stay at my house when you're in Chicago. Thanks, Mallory. The gesture means a lot to me. I may not show it, but I feel a little rudderless. Although, she laughs softly, munching on a piece of celery. Alberto and I just put it on the market. That's the end of the book. (laughs) That's the end of the book. Alberto and I just put it on the market. It's the last First line of, all, of the book. Alberto is not a character. No, of the you've book. never heard his name you, before. You, you've never heard his name, so so there's that. Yeah, it's it, it's odd to have the end of your memoir be the actions of someone else who also isn't her husband. You know, it's or her child. It's not someone who. It's her best friend, but she she's not super, super resonant in the book. Yeah. So it's an odd choice that I think, again, is rooted in the concept of, oh, this is great symbolism. The idea that the house I lived in that I associated with for who my identity is now going to be gone. So now what do I do? Right. I think that's what she's trying to do. I agree with you. It's just it wasn't set up in the beginning. We don't hear how she recorded that album in that house. And in a, my, my I, you know, my feelings was sort of like, you're upset your childhood house is being sold. Like, I, it just, I just feel so far away from being able to connect. And also, when she's like, I peered in the mirror, my face is still line-free. I'm like, this is an essay about aging? Like, I'm, I'm there's a lot of that. A lot of lines on my face. Same. I mean, like, it, what, there, there's a lot of that in here where you're like, I don't think you're doing what you think you're yes, doing. I completely agree. I can't tell you how many times she talks about flying first class. <sighs> yeah, it's at least seven. It, yes, and, and and you know the thing that she does well is she does a good job of taking universal things like childbirth, uh, divorce, aging, things we already understand 
on a fundamental level. I think she does a good job with that yeah. because we already have some knowledge of yeah. it. As far as trying to seem relatable and telling me who she is and why I should relate to her, I felt none of that. Same. Because it was always like, I'm in, I'm lying flat. First of all, when you say you're lying flat on a plane, I'm already like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> unless you follow, unless you follow it up with like, I was able, I, I slipped uh, the the guy at the, the stewardess uh, or the flight attendant some clonopin and that's how I, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, or tell me how you're trash. Yes, or, <laughs> or an awareness, an awareness. Like, I don't need you yes. to be poor to enjoy your memoir. I don't need you not be in first class. I just have an yes. awareness that you are in first class and not everyone is. And I feel like she's writing like, you know, right, girl? Like, when we, when we fly first class, you're like, no, girl. What are you talking about? Yeah. But it did remind me of this one time we were, uh, it was for during Weekend Update, and we were sitting with with Lorne, and there was a photo. The, the joke was about someone um, on an airplane. And so there's a, the photo, you know, that comes up over the anchor's shoulder, and it was someone just on an airplane. And he very sincerely said, well, where are the nuts? What? <laughs> and it was like, and it was like, oh, I get it. Like, you can't remember flying on a plane where you weren't offered nuts. nuts and In you know what I mean? Cup, as opposed probably. To, not from a packet. And it, no. Yeah. As opposed to the rest of us that are, like, on spirit where we don't have a seat. Right. You know what I mean? So th- I got a lot of that vibe from her of, like— uh, you yes. talk about this 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 album that was so fundamental to who you are and that you are chasing, and yet you never talk about it. I don't know that she set out to be a feminist or wants to be one or anything outside of herself was the feeling I got. I agree 100%. And I think, look, we don't know what it was like for her in that. I, I can't imagine. I think about my dear friends who are like 10 years, 15 years older than me who were in improv, who are who are women, and I can't imagine what it was like yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, but that being said, you either kind of have to ad- admit that or have a little bit of, of grace about it. I, I found her chapter on Ryan Adams. That That's about Ryan yes, Adams, yes, that producer. Yes. She talks about having the album with Ryan Adams and then his, all the accusations about him came out. And you can tell she doesn't quite know how to feel. Yes. And I could relate to that in a way because I remember when all the Me Too allegations came out in the improv community, there was a part of me that was confused because I genuinely thought, I mean, keep in mind, I started doing improv in 2000. You know, I was a baby. I dropped out of college. And there was a part of me that was like, wait, is that wrong? Like, I truly was like, oh, if I get a ride home, I should give them a hand job because a a cab is expensive and they're not plentiful. Like, I truly didn't know. And I remember I went out with some women who were younger than me who I literally was like, talk to me. You have to explain this to me because I need to understand. And and it really, it really helped me. And I wish that she would look to people younger than her to learn from. Yes. Yeah. And so a little context for everyone listening— Ryan Adams was Mandy Moore's husband. And perhaps you've thought to yourself, Mandy Moore was this hit musician. She she was a huge hit when we were teens. And then she just went away. 
and music went away. And then when she popped back up, she was on This Is Us. And what happened to her is that she was married to Ryan Adams, who allegedly did very horrific things to her and literally stole her voice, stole her music, and stopped her from singing. Yes. So she comes out with allegations. A bunch of other women, young, young women, um, were abused by Ryan Adams. Her essay, I feel the exact same way, Katie. First off, she spent a lot of time defending him about how great yes. he is. and But then also would say things that I almost felt like someone else wrote, like, well, but it's horrible what happened to those women. Uh, but it, but then it was like— She doesn't even say that. Her manager says that. Yeah, it, yes. It's very odd. And, and, you know, I had the same thing. When, when the Me Too allegations came out about men in improv, I— I had had a teacher send me, uh, and my level five teacher send me, it was actually, he did an incredible job. He, the first email was like. They're good. Oh, they're so good. They're so, they're so good. good. The first email was like, I just want to let you know, like, you're incredibly talented and you're just kind of like a cut above. And <gasps> yes, I was like, oh my God. I, me? I was hoping so. And 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 this person yeah. has this credit that I think matters and won't know doesn't until I'm older. And I was like, wow. Right. Then it moved into like, I just want to collaborate with you because you're just so fucking great. <gasps> yes. I was like, me? I am a me? I got to this town four months ago. Wow, I really must be special. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, um and then it turned to oh fuck I'm drunk I fucking love you we have something fucking intense oh I'm drunk could you come over it's just that you're so talented <laughs> and um <laughs> thankfully at the time I was like okay and, but I remember sitting with my three best friends and we composed an email that wouldn't hurt his feelings and yes. in the email I pretended to be drunk too so I write back being like ooh wow. I'm drunk too I just think it's like so crazy that you have a wife. So you should probably, I know you don't mean that. And I know you don't mean that. And you know, you don't mean that, but like, whoa. So, but I'm drunk. Sorry for bringing up your wife. Listen <laughs> to what you just said. I think it's so crazy that you have a wife, but that's truly like trying you're trying to, to say it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a, exactly, because yeah, you're protecting and him. And I really felt like I can't hurt his feelings or, or I won't have a career in comedy with my level five yes. piece of shit improv teacher. And um, yes. and then I just started skipping class because it like made me sick and I almost didn't pass. And then, you know, five years later, I went to HR. They said, wow. oh, you're like the 70th woman. Because it wasn't a real HR our person. She shouldn't have said this to me. She was like, oh, you're like the 70th woman to come forward about him. She said, don't worry we only send him on the out-of-town gigs now. And I said, oh, you sent him away? <laughs> so you send him away from where people know to stay away from him so he could get fresh Fresh meat. Prey. Also, you make more yes. money on the out-of-town gigs. And then yes, she said, we can't exactly. ban him from the theater because he's dating our new waitress. <laughs> and that was that was it. <laughs> but I bet they ban I bet they banned that waitress as soon as they uh, broke up. As soon up. as they broke up. But but to go back to your point, I reported those emails to another woman uh, who taught there. Who, you know, she did nothing, and then I just sat on it because I thought it was my fault for yes. for believing him when he said I was talented, <laughs> and I never did anything until seventy other women came forward. I didn't realize you could, and I did think it was just me. I thought like I was one weird student who'd like got caught in these emails. But what you just said is so powerful. You didn't realize that you could. Yeah. And that's why I was so grateful for for these women to take the time to talk to their 
fucking 92-year-old, you know, old lady who was there and be like, no, it, you can. Like, it's okay to say that these things are wrong. It's okay. Yeah, it doesn't make you uncool. And, exactly, because we're so obsessed, and especially as, as, you know, women in these these types of arenas where we're like, Oh, I just want to be the chill girl. There's always the chill girl. I mean, it's that cliche now to say the gone girl, cool girl monologue, but it is that. And and so I, I just remember so many times that there were so many things that could be shaped into bits, into comedy bits of like flapping your wiener out and showing it. And you can be like, it was a joke, relax. And you're like, yeah, I guess I should, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I got to get used to it. Um, so I can't imagine what Liz went through. Went yes. through. Okay, this kind of leads into her essay on looks. And <laughs> it was tough. I think she doesn't realize she has pretty privilege, which honey, probably a, a BuzzFeed phrase, but she seems to think that everyone is treated the way she is and is not aware that there's another experience in life. And... I know this because I've been treated both ways before at different times in my life, and it's different. The, the world is really shitty to you when you don't fit into these norms. And so, so it feels like she's just very unaware. And I, But I did have a moment where I thought, you know, I bet this would make a great song and just a really horrible essay. Because she wrote, she wrote this thing, she said— um, I wonder if it's the same thing. Oh, okay. Let's compare after this. So I, I highlighted two okay. parts. I said, she said, um, that's the thing they never tell you about looks. They matter. Of course they do. But they weigh nothing compared to actions. You can change your looks easily if you have the right attitude. And then the other part I highlighted, she said, um, if you break it down into parts, just the physical attributes, brown hair, brown eyes, round face, short, fat, pigeon-toed, is that really how they look? Or is it just shorthand for your much more nuanced and complex way of identifying them? Like skimming the title page and chapter names without reading the book. Even something as objective as a photograph shows the bias of whoever was holding the camera. And as a viewer, you add your own reaction to the image. So what are looks? Seriously, what are they? <laughs> to which I say, you have no idea what it is like to be ridiculed for your looks. <laughs> This is when she had that uh, fashion, sh- that photo shoot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. What part did you highlight? So so I had all that highlighted. I had the exact same things highlighted. And that did infuriate me too, because I was like, you've been, first of all, you're, and again, this is not her fault. She's 5'2". She's always been tiny. She has the face you're supposed to have. She doesn't have a fucking Dago nose like me. She wasn't jiggly. She wasn't six feet tall in fifth grade. You know what I mean? So I don't know, and and I'm not saying it's easier, but it it sounds like it was. It, the thing is, is like, it absolutely (laughs) was. And and even when you're like, I need to lose so what, 15 pounds. I want to get this. I want my hair dyed. Like, Everyone, everyone can relate to that. But when you fit into the heteronormative European set of standards that culture said that you should in Cosmo magazine, you're treated differently than if you have one thing that doesn't. And she just doesn't seem to be aware of that. Like, if she thinks you can change your looks with the right attitude, like, thank God she was born looking that way because you cannot. You can change how you feel about yourself, but you can't fucking change your looks and how people treat you. That's exactly— and also, you're white. Yeah, she didn't list any other traits. I know. 
Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So, look, I, I think there's something to be said about would would exile would exile in Guyville have been what it was if she didn't look the way she looked? Would it have been different if Beth Ditto had released that at the same right, time? Right, right. W- would it have, you know? Um, but— there's one thing that I that see. There was a a, a a a line that to me, and I think your idea of song lyrics, Chelsea. It's so funny. I wrote in the back of the book. You can see it. She's not a storyteller, but she has some good lines that really resonate. Yes, yes. And, where it's like, oh, you write great music, but it's not an essay. Yes, yes. yes. But she said one thing when she in the in the chapter about her giving birth, which I like. Yeah, I like the yeah, chapter about one. her giving birth. She said, "My vanity would like to jump in here and say that my vagina is perfectly normal, and that this is a story about what society does to wound a woman's psyche." Okay, no, it's not a story about that. My vanity just wanted to jump in here. Sorry for the interruption. Please go on. That seemed really honest, yeah, yeah. and that seemed very like self-aware of like, I mean, she got a Brazilian wax before she gave birth. Like that's, and that's okay. Great. Wonderful. But be self-aware of how, of what that is. Oh yeah. And I, that was a great, but I was just going to say, that's what, so that's what I found so frustrating is that it's like, Liz, it's there. It's there, but you're still so guarded. You're still so guarded. And I don't, and you, you, you know, obviously you can deduce what you want as to why she is, but it's like, there's an awareness there, but I also feel like your awareness has still and is still being shaped by those around you mm. as opposed to you. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and, you know, I will say there's one essay in this book that I thought was incredible, top to bottom, incredible. What, let's, see if it's, let's see if we have the same one. Uh, the one about having an affair on her husband. Yes, I, the one about Ethan? Yeah. Are you talking about the, the devil's mistress? Mm-hmm. I thought that one was great. Can I ask why? Yes. I thought she described affairs really aptly and, and how her friend is having one, and she's like, this is a drug hit, not an actual connection. And this is how I know it. And then step by step, she really honestly tells you how the affair began, how it started, and how they both destroyed their marriages and how it ended. And I thought it took so much courage to talk about it like that because you are so judged when you break up your marriage for an affair and his marriage. And she she, she breaks up uh, several relationships in this book. And I thought she just spoke about it in a very honest way that I, that I liked. Now tell me why you didn't like it. I did, oh, like, did it like it for the exact same reasons Ooh. because, but keep in mind, this is something we already know. We know what an affair is. Mm. We know, you yeah. know what I mean? We have some, some context here, but this is one of my favorite passages from the book, if you don't mind Please. me reading it. It's one of life's great ironies that the unattainable fruit once in hand starts to rot almost immediately. That's a great yes. line. yes. Once it's no longer connected to the life-giving vine, it's no longer quite as impressive as before. The same holds true for people and objects you desire. Their context is half their appeal, and once removed from that, they quickly lose their allure. Conquer the challenge, and you may savor your own dissatisfaction. What is meant for you comes easily, so improve yourself if you're dissatisfied with your circumstances. Once you are great, then the great things will naturally be nearby. I love that. Love that. And, and beautiful and all, all advice. Could, beautiful. And all I could think about was, 
I don't think about that as far as a, a love thing is concerned because I've been with my husband for longer than I care to admit. But <laughs> she, I think about that with my career and how I'm Ooh. always like, if I had that, then that is, and I look at other people and I, I get jealous. And jealousy is a, is a, a emotion that I have such discomfort with because I know it's indicative of something else. Yeah. I know it's indicative of uh, dissatisfaction with myself. And so to, to read something like that, I love that, to just say you improve yourself if you're dissatisfied with your circumstances. You don't look elsewhere. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I. So she knows it. She knows it. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's what's so frustrating. Uh, I know. Wow. Katie, I, I don't have anything to add because that was just perfectly put. I, I so relate. Okay. I think we should take a little break because when we come back, I there's something you and I are going to yell about. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait. You mean, you mean we're not yet? I mean, yelling is just normal. Oh, true, voice. true. I think it's going to get even higher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put my, I'm going to put my gain down. That's for all you tech people. <laughs> we're we're going <laughs> to lower the volume and we'll see you in a moment. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role, and we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book, it matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Welcome back. So, okay, so the story that we, we have to get into, which is, I will say, the, the book has 
great things in it and, and really beautiful parts. But there was one essay that decimated the whole thing for me. <laughs> Is and it the robbery at Blue Hill or Blue House? Yeah, the college one. Honey. Okay, so we do have to <laughs> we do have to recap this. And you know what? I think I'm just gonna read a page that I I highlighted, and what I wrote above it was the most the the sh- the most shitty page of all time. Also, a oh, I wrote this is an insane chapter with no point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So let me. Uh, let me see. Okay. Uh, to, to just to recap you, she's in her dorm room and a bunch of people break at Oberlin, by the at way. At Oberlin. Uh, a bunch of people, uh, some men break in and they're ripping the house apart and breaking things and she thinks she's going to die. She climbs out the window, goes to the campus phone booth and and calls like for emergency help. And then, then the essay is kind of about that. So she writes... The vandals had vanished by the time campus security searches the house. The patrolman asked me to describe the suspects. I tell him that I never saw them, that I only heard them. I can't decide if saying they were black is valid or racist. I think they were African-American, I say finally, after recounting every other detail of the incident. As soon as I hear the words come out of my mouth, I feel like I've stepped over an invisible line. I feel white in a way that I didn't at the time of the break-in. Linguistic profiling is potentially a big deal anywhere, but at Oberlin College, it's a powder keg. This is a progressive liberal arts school, and they don't let any form of discrimination slide. It's the 1990s. If you throw race into the mix, the whole ship tilts. Okay, it's also 2017 when you're writing this book, but whatever, okay. If the police start questioning only black guys because of something I said, it could affect the whole community. In small town Ohio, the headline might read, three black men break into student housing causing property damage distress to occupants. Racial bias in crime reporting is commonplace. Editors get their copy straight from police sheets. Even though I'm white and middle class, I don't sit in the lecture halls thinking history is my story. I don't feel like my future is in any way guaranteed. I expect to work twice as hard to be acknowledged in the art world simply because I'm female. How does that make me the oppressor? Why shouldn't I say who I think the assholes were who broke into my house? They broke the law, but now I'm feeling guilty? I have this knot in my throat again, worrying that I shouldn't have said anything I couldn't prove. I know a lot of white guys who sound black because they love gangsta rap. The truth is— Spelled gangsta. Yeah, with an A. I I, I tried to break down what I hate about it. I I think what I hate most about it is that she's like, I am a good non-racist liberal writing an incredibly racist essay, but in a way where she's like— so she's just like sneaking it in, you know? Yes. I mean— why am I the oppressor when I have to work twice as hard in the art world? It's <laughs> like, I, the whole essay is, is her proving she suffered the most. Um, then she talks about how, for some reason, the campus was like, you, ha- you got, your house has to pay for this damage. It's a whole thing about how she's poor compared to her friends. And when she breaks down how she's poor, one of her examples is, I can't ask my parents for money again. Mm-hmm. They just sent me on a year-long tour, and I'm poor, and I'm hardworking, and then the fucking—and I'm just, like, going—the the, the essay ends with her being, like, I'm going to go confront this—she keeps calling them the basketball players—I'm going to go confront the basketball player— to prove to myself that I would do the same thing to a black man that I would do to a white man. You're like, okay. Mm-hmm. She goes up to him. She's like, hey— I was really afraid. And he's like, I'm really sorry about that. But like a guy in that house was sleeping with my girlfriend and like we came to like 
like scare him. And he's like, so I'm really sorry we scared you. And she's like, you need to pay for that. And he was like, no. And then she writes, but I think he respected me and I could live with that. And it's like, how is your, how is, how is that your goal? Two, no, he doesn't. He, you just said, will you pay for the things you broke? And he said, no, like, and then you're telling us that you made this black man respect you. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe anyone let her publish it. Couple things. One, um, for someone who doesn't want to make things about race, you sure made a story that wasn't about race about oh, race. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. It's her only because thought. Because here's the thing. The story itself is very interesting of her of her feeling so terrified. And what the most interesting part of the story is the guy who was fucking the basketball player's girlfriend is like the heir to the Tyson chicken fortune. You know, not that, but yeah. something along those lines. And he says he did it because he just wanted to be, he wanted to have sex with a black woman. Like, so, so there's that. So she's not mad at him. No. Then she's like, okay, that's fair. And so, I'm oh, gonna yeah, go yeah, I get it. it. I gotta go yell at this basketball player. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, there was there was no point to this. It's all over the place, and I agree with you 100%. I don't see how anyone let her publish this. And at one point, she talks about going to see Do the Right Thing in Evanston and how all the— who, who where, By the way, she went to New Trier, which you have to pay like $5,000 for a parking spot at New Trier. It's one of the richest high schools Jesus. that you could ever go to. Yeah. And she talks about how everyone was quiet. All the white people were quiet and were afraid to laugh. And then she says a month later, I saw it in Times Square and we were the only two white people. And everyone was laughing, calling out at the dialogue as if they were cast members. Oh my God, what are you doing? Why? It truly is that meme of like, oh no, baby, what are you what doing? What are you doing? Like, and I, what are you doing? I think I just find, like if, if you are not perfect about race. If you have things in your head that you're fucking dealing with about, I don't know, should I should I say that I think they were black or not? Okay, okay, okay. Why okay. did you project it into a book under the guise of not being racist? Just go talk to someone else about it. Just read a book. Why would you put this out there as the truth and as a good story? <laughs> and why, I, I you clearly had... It was clearly a traumatic experience in the sense that her house was getting robbed and she was terrified. Okay, yeah, I'm with you on that. So maybe talk about that. I don't know. To, to, I, I, but I, tr I agree with you a hundred percent. I don't know what you're. Tr I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from this, except that you're, you're just kind of a fool. Like I, I, I just think it's so insane that this was put in her book. I, I completely agree. Uh, for, for the 10 essays you want to include, like this was her memoir essay. <laughs> I was, I and it feels like, but it feels like, again, she was like, well, I have to weigh in about race because race is an important yeah, thing I mean, these I'm going to be real and raw in this book <laughs> and talk about how I'm racist. <laughs> but it's truly like, it's truly like, oh, you're right. Maybe racism is a thing now. I should weigh in on it. Like, it, like as though I'm weighing in on, uh, as though I'm weighing in on slap bracelet. You know, yeah. it's I'm weighing in on a fad. Right. She's like, well, I got to have my race essay. <laughs> no, you don't. Not you. Honey, you're not, like, not you. Not you. Also, like, her to be like, it was the 1990s. To so talk about race was a powder keg. She's not even talking about, like, 
what what is the right thing to do. It made the rest of the book kind of impossible to read. I also thought that her chapter on going to China was also not as bad, but was similarly. It was very, it was, it's problematic and unfocused. And in the end, it's her saying something similar of like, and then I realized this culture is cool with me. And it's like, bitch, they turned around and laughed and laughed. Oh, you know and what she's I mean? like, they're talking about me in Chinese. And I don't know what it is. And this woman is crazy. <laughs> and um, and then I started, you know, she, she basically, uh, she knocks a woman off her scooter. And they're like, you're going to have to pay for this. And in the book, she writes, I'm thinking, $10,000? I mean, I guess I could call it's my another parents. money thing. Yeah. I guess yes. it's $20,000. And she's talking about how much money she thinks it could be. And she's like, I think it's going to be like at least $10,000 or I'm not gonna, they're not going to let me out of this country. You're also like, what are you talking about? Whatever. And then she's like, and then they came up to me and it was $7.25. Can you fucking believe it? And it was like. And I tried to give them double. Yeah. That's what she says. Yeah. And I was, and you're like, huh? This is one of the most important stories in your Life? Life? And also, like, you're, you're just, she, I don't even think she realizes, like, how um, horrible her ideals and, and, and values are. I think she thinks it she's It would be relatable. one thing if she, I agree. It would be one thing if she told these stories and was like, I'm aware this sucks. Yes, <laughs> but yes. There's, oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? That's different. That's different when you're saying, like, I did this. I, I, I you know, oh, okay. But again, I didn't come to this book for a treatise on, race like uh, that's the last thing I wanted from you yes yes and, and that then there's other so the, I found the stories actually got way worse after this so there's a then there's a story about a guy from high school who got in an accident and has to have I can't I can't I can't with this I can't with this one yeah because she tries to sound like she's being humble in a way or, or being like, wasn't I a fool to think I was cool? And it's like, what? Well, uh, go it ahead. Is, no, it's sorry, so Chelsea. crazy. I'm, I'm getting, I'm starting to get fired up. I know. I'm starting well, to get, my, blood, my lungs are getting hot. Also, it just reminded me that the book begins with her her abandoning a drunk woman in a bathroom possibly to die. That's actually how I the book I forgot begins. about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I actually forgot yeah, about probably, that. I, 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 it made me sick to my stomach. And then I was like, maybe I just can't handle the honesty of admitting a mistake. But you're sort of like, wow. I literally just wrote, that's really fucking awful. Yeah. And the essay is, and she, never in my, she does say it's awful, but not in a way where you, f- it's very there's awful. a clinical. There's a clinical aspect to it. Yes. Where, where you're like, Oh, she, 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 she's in college and there's this girl who's clearly, she's like shit herself. She's so drunk that she, she might be dead and no one does anything about it, including her. I don't think ever in my life as horribly depressed and how much I hated myself and hated other, I don't think I could have ever walked away from something like that. And and you know, here's what I'll say. I, I, I want to, but I don't want to make. I, I'm not trying to make myself. No, sound no, totally. Great. Because I also could not. I couldn't relate to this. But, 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 but people do, and I'm sure I have made horrific mistakes like this. Yes, but absolutely. it came across like I'm going to start this book with a story that'll fuck you up, and it's like because it's called horror stories. Yeah, yeah, and then. And then the rest of the story is kind of about how she feels the burden of carrying that memory. 
And it's not really yes. about a time we didn't we didn't realize we should check on women. It's just very odd. It doesn't haunt her for the reasons you would think it would yes. haunt her. Yes. It haunts her. It, it, that's 100% what it is. I feel like that woman's well-being doesn't haunt her. It's what that says about her that haunts her, which is wrong. Yeah. Like when I look back at all my regrets when it comes to how I've treated people, and I know that's a very loose way of saying that that's what that story was about, it's it's always about them and a look on their face or, or you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and how, and, and that's what haunts you. Yeah. 100%. And I, I, cause I was trying to think of something that I really, really, uh, really like hurts me when I think about. And I, uh, in second grade, there was a little kid named and he was known for wetting his pants. And okay. I also, I was, I wouldn't say, I, can you be cool or not cool in first grade? I say yes. And I was, um, <laughs> I was, I would put me in the middle and, um, and he was so sweet and kind. We would talk and we would hang out all the time. But one morning in front of a bunch of cool kids, he gave me a gift. Like his mom had helped him buy a Barbie for me or something like that. And it was really incredible. And I hugged him and, uh, and then everyone like made fun of me for hugging him. And a couple months later when he sent out birthday party invitations, I didn't go. And later found out no one went to his birthday party. And I was probably his only oh. friend. And I've tried to find him like 10 times in my life. And I'm even saying his name on the podcast. I was just like, I'm, I'm just so fucking sorry. But uh, I, 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 I know what it's like to do something you really, that kills you. You know what I mean? Whether you say this or not on the podcast, I have to say, I'm so glad that that's what you said. Because when I think of that, I think of almost the exact same story. I was in fourth grade. Her name was... I've tried to find her so many times, and she used to pick her nose, and everyone hated her. And I remember talking to my grandmother about her, and my grandmother saying, you should be kind to her. Oh. And I was like, you're right. And so I went back, and I gave, I said, I'm going to give you my phone number, and you can come over and play later. And she was like, okay. And I was like, okay, good. And then... She came up, like she got up during class and was asking me for my phone number. And they were like, and the teacher was like, you have to sit down. And she was like, no, Katie said she would give me her phone number so we could play. And everyone looked at me and I was like, I never said that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think about it all the, time. all the fucking time. And I look for her and I'm like, oh, like, why did it, why? And like, I can still see her face. And it. I don't know that I, 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 I'm glad that you, uh, thank you for sharing that story. Cause it, it still haunts me to this day. Yeah. I, and they probably don't even remember it. Yeah. Or, or I hope they think of me and they're like, or, fuck that girl. And I would be like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes. And I, I think of the, the kids who did horrible things to me and, and that, that I was someone who returned that it's, it's horrifying. And, and I, Thank you for sharing that. And and also, and for Liz, too, that's where it's like, I, it, it's good to share those things because humans do horrible things all the time, even the good ones. Yes. It's just, what do you what do you do with that information and what's the takeaway? And I think the takeaway, I don't know what the takeaway is, but I think the takeaway is like, I hope you find her one day and I hope I find him one day because like, you do need to make it right. You do. You, you, everyone, yeah, you, that's the takeaway. The takeaway is not that I'm haunted. The takeaway is that I hope they don't give a fuck about me or that if I ever get the chance to make it right, I can. And also vulnerability is not 
currency. And I feel like sometimes she uses her vulnerability as currency. Oh, yeah. So she's saying, she's telling us that to kind of gain our trust, because that is horrific. You left this woman in the bathroom. But then we're not given any sort of resolution about it. Yeah. And it doesn't feel vulnerable in a way that true vulnerability does, where you feel closer to the person. If anything, that vulnerability made me feel further feel away, more distant yes, from her. Same, which that's so, and that's what's confusing. That's so interesting because yeah, I applaud her in the book for all the things she shares, and then I'm like, why does it push me away from you? Yes, because and I've never experienced me neither. that. Neither, and and, on, and in these books, people admit uh, horrible things, and I've always felt closer. I don't know what it is. Yes. it's very odd. Well, and I. It carries through in a couple more stories where, back to the guy, in high school, this guy got in an accident. He has a prosthetic leg. He recognizes her on the plane. She's in first class. He's in coach. And he comes up to her. The way she—everything about the story is horrible. And she's just like—he just, like, came up to me and, like, wasn't even embarrassed. And he's basically like, "I can you carry my leg to my connecting flight? I always have to ask a stranger to do it. It's really embarrassing for me. But, but, like, I know you now, so, like, can you carry this leg? And then the way she describes it is just, like, so kind of dehumanizing. And it's she's kind of, like, saying it's like a punchline. And then th- this is the paragraph she wrote. I have a long time to think about that. Why I feel like a victim. A captive to my celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> a captive to my celebrity in need of velvet ropes and special treatment. Sometimes I look at my friends and family and think, you just don't get it. You don't understand what I have to deal with but there's no way that I have it worse than Jake does. I begin to wonder if it's all an excuse, a way of blaming my loneliness and antisocial tendencies on the scapegoat of fame. While I've been folding myself up into a pity party picnic basket, Jake has willed himself to be more capable, less careful, less isolated. Maybe all I need to do is stop thinking about myself for five minutes. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that this is also a story that could be a beautiful display of schadenfreude because what she when she finds out, when the flight attendant tells her that this guy wants to say hi to her, she's like, oh, he probably wants an autograph. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's fine. We knew each other in high Which school. Which is funny. Yeah. We've all done that where we th- we have an inflated sense of like, ooh, and then he comes up and he's like, no, will you carry my leg? I know you. And you're like, that's fantastic. And what a humbling experience <laughs> that could be. Yes. Instead, you bitch about how heavy the leg was. Oh, yeah, and how she, she even says, like, I'm sure he was clean. I'm sure the leg was clean, but yeah. he was an athlete. You're just like, what? Like, <laughs> I agree. So that to me, I was like, oh, that's that, that story made me sad because it felt like such a missed opportunity to to show a horror, a horrible part of you, and be like, yeah, I, I admit, it, it, it just it it just turned into some. She she was using him as sort of a. How should I put this? She was using his disability as a way to help her to, to talk, talk about yeah, her fame. which is like what? Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah. It was she crazy. comes across as someone who doesn't have a lot of close friends because if I yeah. had sent oh, a yeah. manuscript of this to you, you would have gotten on a plane, taken the manuscript, knock on my door, hit me with it. 
Oh, yeah. Then and I then would take your back. laptops, burn them so that you can't share it. <laughs> I would disable your email accounts. I would erase every trace of it and be like, you're welcome. Start yeah. over. Start over. Or or she's attracted to people her to her that think this is okay. I interrupted yeah. you. What were you going to say about, I'm sorry. Uh, probably exactly what you said. Uh, honest, no, that that was it. I, but there was, there's one other, so there's one other, there's one other story I need to yell about. It's the Trader Joe's story. Can I tell you an honest to God truth? Yeah. I ended up skimming it because oh. I was so mad. And when I saw how it ended, I was like, I'm glad I skimmed this because I would have mm. had to, I would have punched a fucking hole through I the wall. I physically screamed and threw the book in the Trader Joe's. I, <laughs> I understand. Well, I'm excited to take you through it detail by detail uh, in case you skimmed any of this goodness. And also, trigger warning. Trigger warning for everyone that this is going to get dark. Okay, so it starts great. It starts great. She, she was in a horrific relationship with a guy who truly fucked her over after her husband. And she says she's decimated, hasn't dated for like 10 years. So to get attention, she goes to Trader Joe's where she knows they're trained and paid to flirt with you, which is like, yes. I, I love it. this. Yes. I've done this. I've done this. Hooray. I've written a sketch about it. You know, it's like, they thank you like, so much. You, you're buying cheddar? Like, what's up with you, girl? That's so fun. You're like, I am fun. I am going to eat this. this. Is, it's like our, it's like a strip club, yes. essentially. Yes, a strip club for, for emotions. And yes. 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 Totally relate to going places to, for someone paid to interact with you just because you're just so depressed. Thank you so, so much. So she's like, great, I'm getting ready to go in. And there's this guy I'm flirting with each time. She goes in this one time, talks to another woman. She's like, I think he has a girlfriend. So she says she starts shopping somewhere else. And then like five months later, comes back into Trader Joe's. He's there and he's like, oh my God, Liz, my friend, I have a huge gift for you for Christmas. And he brings out this giant mm-hmm. gift basket of like a bunch of cool stuff. She's like kind of embarrassed and mad. And it's like, I don't know you. And like, why would you do that? And he says he's a really generous guy. And, and, and then she's also... Oh, very accurately, like, I started this as, you know, I've been flirting with him constantly, but blah, blah. Then she's like, I'm over it. But he asked for her number. She gives it to him. She's like, I felt like I had to go. I started this. So then she goes and she's hanging out with him. And he is like, you got to come to my wedding to my fiance. <laughs> she's like, I thought this was a fucking date. Still, still funny. But she's like kind of mad at him. She's like, why would I go to his fucking wedding? He's like, come to my wedding. And she's like, I couldn't believe it. This guy I thought had been flirting with me had a fiance the whole time and it was my fault. You you turn the page and the next sentence is, mm-hmm. um, and then he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And he died by suicide. Uh, but but that her, the first sentence was the way she wrote it in the book. And uh, I was like, oh, oh, like, oh, my, oh my God, mm-hmm. oh my God. And then she talks about how his memory haunts her so that when she meets, and truly in the book she says this, a cuter guy than him, who she has more realistic chemistry with, who also works at a grocery store, she doesn't feel like she can flirt with him because the memory of the man who died by suicide is in her way. I, I don't even know what to say. I, and I, I want to be like, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but like she says he's cuter than a person who's no longer, I just don't understand why you would do that. So I didn't read that part because after I saw that he had died by suicide and she then was going to talk more about herself, I I had to stop with that chapter. I'll say this. That man 
if you had taken five seconds, that man clearly had a debilitating mental illness, which explains his gregarious behavior. And expl- and so for you to be like, wasn't this weird? It kind of pissed me off. And then he's dead. It just, it seemed so incredibly insensitive. Uh, if she wanted to discuss, like, what do you do when you're a woman put in a sexualized position, but someone needs to help, but you'll also put yourself in a weird position to be the helper? Maybe that's something to discuss, but it, that's just not where she was coming from. I don't know. It's just another thing of just like, why, actually, why did you tell me this? And if you if this is how you feel, fine, but like, why did you, why did you tell me? Why did I read it? It also seemed like, it seemed like sort of a violation of privacy on that man's part and that man's family's part, because this is not a person that she worked with. This is a bystander that she, this is not a person in the industry. This is not a family member. This is not someone she was in a relationship with. And there's definitely going to be someone that reads this book that knows that person. And I I just, I I don't know. I just, that really made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and then she tries to prove and to us, the reader and to the people at Trader Joe's that she's not his friend after it. Everyone Mm -hmm. keeps being like, you were, she says, I know you were close. And she's like, we We weren't close. close. We weren't friends. We weren't friends. We didn't know each other. It it, it was just, it's really, it was, it was really hard. It was really hard to keep going. And it really, it's tough. I liked, I like to do memoirs that I like love, but like, this was a really tough book. This was, and it's funny because I knew that and I texted you that, but even saying it, finally saying it out loud, I'm like, wow, I really regret reading that. Well, I will say this. I don't regret reading it. Okay, good. Yes, and I love that. Tell me. I'll tell you why. Because I think there were still things in it that we read memoirs to shed light on other people. But let's be honest, it's to shed light on parts of ourselves. Oh, yes. Um, A million times over. Yes. Yes. And there were still some things in it that did kind of transport me back to that time in my life and— made me think, oh, I I do that, or I did that. Um, But I'm going to say this, and and I'm just going to say it. You know how there are those girls from high school that seemed impossibly beautiful and impossibly cool and knew how to, even if you bought the right clothes, you didn't know how to tie them right, mm-hmm. but they did. And it was these men, ma- and this is before the internet. So it's like, it was just true. It was this magical, inert thing about them. Yeah. And you really thought to yourself, I shouldn't say you, I, I really thought to myself, oh, if I could just, what did, what did they know? Like, what, what is it? If I could just have that. And then one day you see that they're selling leggings on Facebook. <laughs> And you're like, oh, huh, I guess nobody really has it figured out. And I don't mean in a judgment way, in a way of like, oh, wow, okay. There was something about reading this book uh, written by someone who I thought was impossibly cool and I could never, ever compete with in any way, shape, or form. And walking away from it and being like, I don't really know if I 
care. Mm -hmm. That is, and And so there was something cool about that for me Um, because it made me look back and go, oh, she didn't have it together. It it wouldn't have been wonderful. Like, (laughs) yeah. And I, I, I think those moments are so important. And I, I would even, I'd even call it back to the, the, the improv teacher who I worshiped because he had a credit that I won't say here, but it's like so laughable. But at the time I was like, wow, wow, he did blah, blah, blah. And to grow up by seven years and be like, that doesn't mean anything. And it takes, like, the power out of it. And taking the power out of, like, yeah, it's, it's like that the we're all human thing and the fears you're afraid of you don't have to be afraid of and the things you want to do you can. And, like, we're all just messy, disgusting humans. And it goes back to that passage that I loved about uh, 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 about the, gra- the when you want something and you take it, you take it off the vine, it begins to rot. And so for me, I I was like, oh, I get it now. She, there's nothing to be envious of really in anybody. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I will say that is incredible because envy is the root of bullies. Yes. It is the root of everything bad in this world. And it's anything, such a dangerous, it's so dangerous, dangerous emotion. It's so dangerous and it causes true hurt. And anything that can kill envy and the validity of envy, I think is powerful. And I love I love that that came out of this because that's a big deal. But I will say, if you didn't know who she was, I don't see how any in any way this book is for you. No, and I also, and I think if you are a huge fan of her music, you could maybe read something with prior knowledge of her that takes new meaning or better meaning of those essays. But yeah, as me reading it, I was like, I is I couldn't latch, okay. couldn't latch, and I'm a baby you starving couldn't without latch. the breast milk. Could, couldn't hook on. <laughs> well, what's tough, Katie, is that where we end these podcasts by doing the book dull test, which is a test specific to this podcast. The book dull test. It. It's question one. Was she vulnerable, and did she give us her truth? I don't know. Yeah. I would say she gave us her truth, I think, but I don't think she was vulnerable. Or I think at times she did, and in other stories she didn't. I don't—I certainly don't think she was lying at any point in this book. No, no, not at all. Um, I don't think think she tried to cover up things to make it seem better or sparkly or shinier. So I think she definitely was truthful. And and maybe this is her vulnerability. So maybe. Number two, was it entertaining? Well, <laughs> I have struggled to I'm I I love I love my books and I have struggled to read throughout the pandemic. So, I have to say that I was excited to be reading a book. That's and that's that's big. And that's true. Mm-hmm. So, I will always and to really get into it even though it was for another purpose. So I am grateful to you and grateful to Liz for getting me back into working out, yes. so to speak. Okay, I love that. I love that. Okay. So, yeah. Yes. Great. Okay, yes. good. Yes. Third and final question. Did reading this book elevate your life somehow? Yes. I think because of what I just said. Yeah. I think I, yeah. I, I had such I had such absolute— uh, awe and idolization for so many of these these women at that time, and 
And it was nice to know that we probably wouldn't have been friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. And I think for my answer, I, I think my answer is going to be no. I think my answer is going to be no. And had I had her in my life, I can see my answer being yes. But I, yeah, I just did it. So I think, I think for me, it was a no. But this is cool. And now, Katie, tell us where we can follow and support your work. Um, well, uh, I guess I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm Katie Mary yeah. Rich on Twitter. That is my actual name. Uh, my actual name is Advice that I didn't follow. Um, and <laughs> Katie Mary Rich. Oh, my yeah, God, Katie. That's actually my name. You should honestly be forced to perform stand-up every night with that as your opening joke. That should be penance for how good that name is. Really? Okay. Yeah. Go follow her on Twitter. And um, and and thank you to Liz Fair for writing this. Honestly. And bringing me and my friend together to talk. Honestly. Thank you. Honestly, thank you for writing it. Vo- and for anyone to be brave to put out anything and, and, and let people talk about it. I deleted a tweet today because I thought the joke was dumb. And it was purely out ah! of fear. So... I don't know. There's there's a there's bravery in, in putting it out there. So, uh, uh, listen, I I com- I completely yeah. agree. completely agree. Katie, I love you I so love much. You Thank so you for much. doing Thank Celebrity you. Book Club, and I'll see you. And on I the love all the like cookies. Love the I love cookies. all the cookies. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for this week's episode. I, As you can tell, I just love Katie so much. And, you know, I was bummed to not like this book. But I have to say, I got a bunch of messages from Cookies who loved this book. So, you know, not everything is for everyone. And that's okay. And that's really advice that, like, my big takeaway to myself is that, you know, writing a book about your life and putting it out there is, like, it's fucking hard. <laughs> and to have someone not like it is annoying. I'm sure. And all I can think to myself is that, like, I put other stuff and art out there all the time. So if someone doesn't like it, like, it's okay. Um, And often I think it's like, it's not okay, but like, it is. Everything's not for everyone. That's my big takeaway. I could not make this podcast without our incredible team here at Stitcher, executive producer Daisy Rosario, producer Brandon Nix, and associate producer Corinne Wallace. And our episode is mixed by Marcus Hom. Thank you so much, Marcus. You guys, if you want to see the visual story of everything that goes with this week's episode, go to at Chelsea Devantes on Instagram. I will be posting Liz Fair visuals as well as some pictures of Katie in her Liz Fair days that are <laughs> so funny. And we also have a Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast on Facebook. That's where you can start your own conversations. People post articles. It's super fun. And y'all, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to uh, go across the country for temporary for my, my new job. And I'm up to my ears in, in it. And, but the funniest thing is that I'm bringing like 20 pounds of books with me. I really am. So the podcast is continuing. And I'll see you next week. Next week.